Welcome to Movie Left, a Move Left Idiots podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, uh, joined by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Uh, I've had an interesting uh, evening. Um, about an hour and a half ago, I heard about nine or ten gunshots um, just on the other side of the park from where I live, about a, just maybe 1,500 feet across this, this park, city block. Uh, heard tires screeching a car accelerate quickly and then people screaming and i looked out the window there's people running in every direction so uh just drive-by shooting happen uh, i am as we speak i'm looking out my window and there's still probably about half a dozen squad cars with their lights going uh they had the whole whole park closed off uh and then i just checked the news and the victim was a 14 uh, year old male shot in the face so Jesus Christ. Yeah, ironic because we're going to be reviewing a film uh, tonight that uh, dissects, I think, uh, violence, where it comes from, how the media affects it, and vice versa. So, yeah, uh, interesting tie-in to my real life right now. And reflex it, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so uh, with that, I guess we should get into the film that we're reviewing today. We are reviewing the uh, just recently released film. 2019 Quentin Tarantino written and directed film uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Have you Nazi bastards? <laughs> Seems this world got you down. You're feeling bad about me, so free. Are you an actor? No, I'm a stuntman. Still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Line. Cut! Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Has been on August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the clutch. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, we saw the film uh, recently. I saw it uh, last Wednesday. You just saw it yesterday, I believe, right? Yeah, I went and saw it last night. I I wasn't expecting a whole lot, you know, Mm because I like to not research a film too much ahead of time because then it kind of ruins the magic uh and i was very impressed um you know we reviewed glorious bastards recently and i've always had a lot of somewhat mixed views on some of his films right i always thought uh, death proof was actually my favorite but this is this is definitely the best he's done um and it's probably the most it's the film he has the most to say the most different amount of things to say you know, it's not just, hey, Nazis are bad and we're going to kill a bunch of Nazis. Or, or slaves are, uh, slaves are, you know, slave owners are bad. Yeah, yeah. There's like some real kind of more existential questions that mm-hmm. are being asked and answered in this film. It's not just, oh, here's, you know, like the, the problems they're having, they're tangibly trying to resolve in their internal conflicts that are not the kind of stuff he's ever touched on before. Uh, and the audience, when the film's over, applauded where I was the theater I was at. I haven't been to any movie where people have applauded like that in a long time. Yeah, same in same in my theater. Like a few people that <laughs> tepidly like, hey, is anyone else gonna do it? No? Okay. But like oh, still, was, I like that yeah. almost never happens for me anymore at all. It, yeah. It was like half the theater. Yeah. yeah. Um and I think that, you know the trailer doesn't really tell you much about what this is, other mm-hmm. than that, you know, you're gonna see some actors playing actors in nineteen sixties Hollywood. And amazing you know, cast too. The, I mean that that's really the trailer is almost entirely there. Just be like, hey, yeah. look at these this insane fucking cast we assembled. And, and you, you know, know, Quentin, you know, for the last thirty years, people have been trying to get Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in the same movie, and it's never happened before. And you're like, wow, how come we've never gotten to see that? Like, we should be able to get that. And they have like the most amazing on-screen chemistry of almost any you know two major actors I've seen. And it's well, like, why the fuck aren't these two like right? Well, in and every there's, movie there's, together. There's some leading men who won't share top billing like that. Like they have to be the, sure. the king, uh, you know, king shit of fuck mountain or whatever. Um, so and then just like scheduling, trying to get the the schedule for two leads to be at the, the same film at the same time like that. Even if you want to do it, it might not be feasible. So, yeah, this was a great fucking movie. This was a lot of fun to watch. And knowing full well that this was sort of going to be surrounding the Charles Manson family massacre of Sharon Tate and her dinner guests, uh, brutal, horrific murder that, you know, was was very much a cultural moment because of the, you know, how much it affected people, how much it was in the news, uh, how it very much changed the perception of what Hollywood was for a lot of people, I think. And just the idea that hippies weren't all about free love anymore. Now they were about mass murder, you know, and that that caused a lot of blowback too. going into this film, knowing all that stuff. You are sort of petrified the entire film because, you know, it's coming. Yeah. Right. 
And, and Quentin Tarantino obviously knows that. So in all the scenes where there's just the suggestion of like tension, you know, there's something way worse coming. Right. So just just, you know, not not to get too far ahead, but there are scenes that wouldn't have nearly as much weight to them. Were you not sort of like, you know, on the sticking clock, knowing how this film's going to end or at least how you think it's going to end? Yeah. And just knowing the story of the Manson family. I mean, there's so many little uh, moments that uh, Tarantino inserted Cliff into from historical Manson events like the Manson family. Uh, actually killed a uh, ex stuntman on Spawn Ranch at you know at during uh, like before the height of the murders basically someone that was kind of yeah. like wise to them this guy that was like a ranch hand ex uh, stuntman was killed by um, I, I, f- I forget his name but the toothless guy that that stabs Brad Pitt's tire that's the guy Clem that's the guy that actually killed that <laughs> stuntman in real life. So yeah. when you see him go to the ranch and then like, you know, he's surrounded by all the Manson people, you're like, Oh my God, fuck, 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 fuck. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill. You right. know, Brad Pitt. Well, they and, play on your, you know, expectations with shit exactly, like that. Exactly. Well, and that's almost like you, if you were not, if you didn't know anything about the Manson family, that scene would be mildly oh, tense. It, yeah. But you still know, like, well, this is this fucking stuntman. Like, he's tough as shit. He could take any of these kids. But there's still 25 of them, right? So you're yeah. still kind of like, you know, and I think that he, like, he knows there's something wrong. That's why he wants to go check on his, his old friend uh, and make sure Plus, it's not, like, elder abuse going on, which you can't really tell one way or the other, right? Yeah. Well, that was another subversion of X, but you expect like him to go find like a dead body in there. Right. But he's exactly. like, you know, exactly. he's like, the fuck yeah. do you want? You know? Instead, he um, finds uh, Bruce Dern, which is you know about as close to a living corpse as you can get. <laughs> uh, but you know, he, he plays it plays it great. Originally was going to be Bruce Reynolds, who was actually signed on to the film Reynolds, yeah. uh, before he passed away. Um, but yeah, and and you know that that's that scene where he beats up the guy that slashes tire too. It's like. He didn't need to beat that guy up that hard, but uh, you know, you think like he kind of gets the tension, and he's got to scare the shit out of all those. Well, that was people. backing everyone down. Yeah, that was classic, like prison. Like you know, let me show how fucking tough I am, so all these people don't try me. Right? Because like he, obviously, you know, yeah. right? He knows he can't fight off twenty five people if they all gang up on him, and they mm-hmm. and they very well could. And we know they're he he's seen enough craziness from them to know that you know they're, they're fucking lunatics right mm-hmm. um so yeah he beats the shit out of that guy to send a message to them so that he doesn't have to fight 25 fucking teenage girls i don't know but i, I would just be terrified of lena dunham you know how many fucking cats she's probably like, oh murdered god her. yeah just, just she was one of the head manson chicks yeah no. that was that, I, I said to somebody else, i was like that's the most amazing piece of stunt casting i've ever seen lena dunham is one of like the manson girls like, yeah no absolutely it was so wonderful. spot on to her psychotic fucking real life personality well, um, I, but- I, I went and watched a bunch <laughs> of interviews from some of these manson girls from back in the day and they were oh all God, fucking crazy there's some of them to this day they're still not to they're, they're still, still done with this fucking cult bullshit yeah um so imagine yeah. thinking he's still the fucking messiah like you're in jail all this shit's come out about him. How he was a failed musician. How he was a fucking hack, and he didn't believe any of the shit he said. And you're yeah. still like, oh no, Charlie. He was, you know, he was like the, like he was trying to help us. He was trying to save us and bring us to this this hole in the ground in the desert that's going to protect us from the oncoming race war. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that that was the other thing I was uh, learned is that uh, their plan was to murder Sharon Tate and all of her friends, and then blame the Black Panthers for it. To incite a race war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So just, I mean, 
who, who would think that that's a good thing? Um, Which, you know, it's even worse, actually. It's it, it's even more hair. I mean, that's yes, that is partially true. But technically, it's even worse than that, because what happened was they uh, he, he uh, so there was another murder that uh, w- an associate of theirs got caught up in this guy, Bobby Beausoleil. Uh, and they were trying to free him because he's he's like you know he had, he knew he knew too much like he knew everything that was going on with them he knew all the shit that they were implicated in um, so they thought hey let's do another murder and his and his murder was basically like a drug deal that got fucked up and he ended up killing this guy at Charles Manson's uh, uh, order essentially. Uh, so they said, Hey, like let's t- to free him. This is the, their fucking genius scheme. Let's commit a murder in the same style that his, that that murder was. And then they'll say, Oh, it must not have been him. And then they'll release him <laughs> and then we'll get away, which oh was the God. Sharon Tabor. And, and then that was also like, Hey, also while we're doing this, let's like jumpstart helter skelter because Char- Charles Manson was telling them, uh, and I don't think he believed any of this shit, but he just had to constantly lie to them to keep them from leaving him. Like, right. oh, well, the black people are too stupid to start Helter Skelter on their own, so we have to start it for them. And then, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, yeah. we're getting down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Yeah, anyway, we're gonna, so yeah, we're the film itself assumes that you know all of this or, or at least are passing still, knowledge, somewhat familiar with, yeah. with this history. Even if you didn't know like the, the huge cultural ramifications of, of what came out of it, it's still. You know, it fits with what the story is because the story is about sort of the death of the golden age of Hollywood uh, and a transition to sort of new Hollywood, right? And of course, uh, you know, our, our two lead characters are very used to the old Hollywood and, you know, are, are essentially, you know, still working class people. Even though this guy's been the star of the show, he's fallen on hard times, right? He's really struggling to hold together. Basically, he's having a midlife crisis as an actor. Um, you know, barely can afford his, you know, he's got a house in the Hollywood Hills, but it's, it's a modest house, you know, his pool's tiny, <laughs> you know, and this, it's probably this, paid off and he can't afford the, the fucking up. It seems like he can barely afford the upkeep and you know, whatnot. Right. Right. But, and, you know, and he's got this stunt man who's not really a stunt man anymore. He's more of just a gopher. They've kind of become friends. Um, this is actually fairly common when you have a, a lifelong stunt doubles, you know, you, you become friends with the people you work with. And if you're on a different set all the time, who's the one person who's always there with you You're fucking yeah. stunt double, you know, like they, they, they kind of look like you, uh, you work together. They make sure that you don't get fucked up and, and hurt yourself. Uh, so you see this really great natural relationship between the two of them. And, you know, at, at one point in the film, when he basically realizes that he, he can't afford to keep him on, it's this really heartbreaking moment. Oh my God. It's hard. Where yeah. it's, it's almost kind of like, I can't, I can't afford to pay you to be my friend anymore. And you're just like, God damn it. You don't, you don't need to, you can still be friends. Yeah, I was like, just hang out guys. It's cool. Don't yeah. worry about it. Your bro comes over to watch you on your fucking <laughs> stupid TV show and brings you beer for you. You know, like they're just, oh, I love that like, scene so much. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, watching. He's like, "Oh, nice jump there!" Like, you know, like, yeah. just, like doing like commentary over like the horrible fucking show that he's, he's just blasting people in the face with a shotgun. He's like, "That's right, you got him." <laughs> oh man, that's good shit. But like, so that and that's kind of like what Tarantino said about this movie. He he described it as a hangout movie. He said Jackie Brown's kind of a hangout movie too, and wherein like it's not that there's a ton that happens particularly in terms of plot. Although obviously there's a plot that goes forward, but it's not you know. It's not like a caper. It's not super plot heavy. Uh, it's not a mission like Inglorious Bastards. It's just a movie where you meet these characters that you really like to hang out with. And he's like, I hope people go back to this movie in five years and watch it. And I'm like, hey, I love hanging out with Rick and Cliff. Like that's, you know, like it, it's that's that's why he describes it as a hangout movie. And I think 
that's certainly true of this, but I think this movie, like you mentioned, is a lot more than that. And it does contain kind of multitudes about, you know, I, I think Tarantino, it's, it's, it's probably the most sentimental movie Tarantino's made and we'll By get far. into why. Uh, but it's also, I think, the most autobiographical movie he's made. I mean, and you can even kind of tell, like, I was watching, we talked earlier about the, um, before we went on air, about that little Entertainment Weekly roundtable that they did with uh, Quentin, Leo, Brad, and and uh, Margot, Robbie, uh, where they were, you know, kind of talking about the movie and, and the process of it. And you could tell how much of his life he put into this movie, like, even, like, the shot. He was talking about like where, where the shot where you see Cliff driving and you see all the advertisements say he's going past on Rodeo Drive, and he and he's like, yeah, I even put the camera in the angled up from the passenger seat because I just remember driving with my dad and like passing all of these advertisements, these like lit billboards on Rodeo Drive, and that was actually my view of like, and and you could tell but like with that with the radio, all the all the advertisements that were true to the time period, like he he really. He put his love of L.A. into this movie, and he's somebody that actually well, grew up there. So, you know, it's just overall the the recreation of, of Hollywood Boulevard 1969 and was was so immaculately done. Just the level of detail. Yeah. And if that was David Fincher, he would have done just as good a job, but it all would have been CGI. Every frame would have been CGI. You know, if you've mm-hmm. seen the making of uh, the Zodiac. They show you how every, almost every single shot in Zodiac has has CGI elements to make it look like 1960 San Francisco, and you know that Tarantino did none of that <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. That everything, every shot in there was was what was actually in the frame of the camera because he's a fucking purist. Um, it just you know it, the the montage where all the neon signs are turning on at dusk was mm-hmm. just fucking gorgeous to look at that. Oh, beautiful. Uh, you know, just and you know, we were talking about how *Glorious Bastards* doesn't really have any driving shots the way most of his films do. This yeah. had just the gorgeous shots of, of Brad Pitt driving, driving that shots. car uh, with all the lights and storefronts lit up and everything. Just you know, total, total fucking eye candy. He hasn't been able to do that in so many. It, it realistically, I mean, you know, *Hateful Eight was obviously no driving shots. I mean, there's obviously some carriage shots, but in *Glorious Bastards*, very few. He hasn't been able to do this in over ten years in a film. So he was like. I'm getting some nice fucking driving shots. I'm getting some awesome fucking horseback riding shots. You know, I'm getting like as much as much of these these shots that I love in as possible because, you know, who knows when I'm going to get to do it again, especially if he ends up making this fucking Star Trek movie they might make. Yeah, <laughs> well, he'll, probably still, he'll still put a fucking car in there just like yeah, J.J. Right. Abrams did. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, the first act of this, this film, I, I feel like there is, you know, somewhat of a three act structure to this and a lot of his films don't have that as much but the first act is just kind of like establishing the routine of these people and we don't really get a sense of any kind of plot whatsoever right and it's it's not really till brad pitt goes to the farm that you go oh okay here's here's where the plot starts really yeah here's here's the mansons here's like all the shit and you kind of get like when you first get introduced to the manson girls like you they're like you know walking down the street and singing a song which i I thought it, and I looked up later, it was actually a Charles Manson song that they were singing as they were coming down the street. Yeah, still just uh, super they, creepy. Seeing very like, creepy, yeah. They're all walking in a row carrying something, and it's just, it's just like... Digging through the garbage and Yeah, it's, if you didn't know anything about the Manson family, you'd be like, oh, that's whatever. But it's because you know about the Manson family, the Manson girls, you're like, ah, oh, fuck, there's the... Like, yeah. there, there they are. There's the fucking cult who, you know, are, are vicious murderers. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that really, you know, this, this film is so much about, 
taking a look at, at you know, from whence comes cometh violence, right? Mm-hmm. The when the opening scene with Al Pacino, you know, he's his he's, he's talking about how he loves all the killing in the trailer. Even yeah. I, love, I, love, I love the shooting, killing. I love the shooting and yeah. the killing. They, <laughs> the they, they show the you know, scene where he's got the flame floor, floor he's torching all the you know all the Nazis, just screaming you know die Nazi bastards. And of course, you know, so he's, this is like 1960s. Somebody you know is Asian, uh, very very almost. Uh, uh, almost stereotypical Jewish portrayal. Of course, he would you know, figure like you know would love watching a bunch of Nazis get torched. <laughs> wouldn't, uh, but you could tell that the, the you know Leonardo DiCaprio was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton. He, he's not that quite that comfortable with all of the violence, you know, and just yeah. kind of like the 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 uh, you know violence that doesn't really show the real tragedy of taking a life. You know, because mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like you shot someone, it was just, Ugh, and then you fall over. You don't see any blood. You don't <laughs> see anything. It's just, and a lot of people felt like that really, uh, you know, that, that normalized violence back before they kind of showed the, the real, you know, much more graphic depictions of violence as being awful. Uh, and, and some people would say that desensitizes even more. But, you know, the film also, you know, directly looks at that when you've got these Manson kids saying, hey, we should go murder some movie stars because aren't they the ones that taught us that murder is OK? Which is just like a totally p- twisted logic to know that that's where. Yeah, well, they're they're all. And and I think the movie also does a good job. And I'll get into this a little later of of demystifying the 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 dark and scary aspects of the Manson family and shows them to just be a bunch of fucking idiots and like, you know, morons, and like dime store philosophers. Right. With like the shit they're saying, um, which I, I know I'll get into when we talk about the last scene, but we'll save that. But uh, so, yeah. And, and you know, that's, it, it's, it's interesting too, though, with the, with those little moves. And I loved <laughs> all the little like movie and TV show, like within a movie things that they had from the, in this movie. But um there's so many references to other Tarantino works too. I mean, you know, the most obvious is *Glorious Bastards* with the burning movie theater, which essentially was like you know, kind of recreated in that scene. Although it was like a you know a war room or theater rather than like the movie theater. Yeah. Very reminiscent shots, and then you know, obviously the uh, the scene that we see from his '50s TV show, his cowboy show, uh, he he stumbles across uh, Michael Madsen. Uh, talking about how this is Jody something's town, uh, and Jody was actually Michael Madsen's name in Hateful Eight, and that's actually the town from Django Unchained from the first scene where they, where they collect yeah. the bounty. And like, they, there's so many little things like that. Well, there's also like, Kurt Russell and Zoe Bell playing the stunt coordinator. This is obviously yeah. a callback yeah. to Death Proof, which was it was great to have. You know, the little cameo. Uh, and then, a lot of little references like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many little like micro flashbacks that are really jarring and you think like is this really necessary to kind of keep jumping around this much but then you realize later on each one has given you a piece of information that's going to matter later on or almost each one um the 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 cliff flashbacks yeah uh, when when he's he's bragging about actually uh, learning to use the flamethrower and you get that quick little flashback where he's (laughs) like he's like ah does it have to be so hot He's like it, it's a flamethrower. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, good, yeah point. good point. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was just some amazing, amazing one-liners in this film uh, as well. The, the there was when he has the 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 scene with um, uh, the very young actress Julia Butters, and who's you know oh, so wise good. beyond her years. At first, you're kind of like, ah, oh, scene with a kid. What's this is gonna you know? I don't really want you know. And then it gets to this this great emotional 
moment, but it's still hilarious because she's, you know, looking up at him and she's like, I'm sorry you feel bad. He's like, you'll be living it in 15 years. And she's like, what? Because <laughs> she's like done the math really quickly. She's like, wait a minute. <laughs> 15 but years, I, my career's already over. But he's like, he already knows. Like the, But the, I, the, I, there, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, just, you know, he, like he's going through this bullshit, but he's had probably 30 years in Hollywood, but uh-huh. he, he knows the shelf life for, for, you know, a young woman actor is, is much, much shorter than yeah. that. And she's kind of like, just wait a minute. Like, I thought <laughs> I had this all figured out and I didn't, Fuck. what are you telling me now? <laughs> um, but you know what else is really funny about that? A lot of people think that that was Quentin's kind of in joke on Leo because Leo famously on set, like, and who knows if this is true, but people have said that he's kind of like, like, don't make eye contact with me and you're only to refer to me by my character's name so like all the shit that she was saying at the beginning i felt like that was like quentin's like dig at leo being such a self-serious fucking actor sometimes oh, like I know. You know, I know. she's like I, I will only be referred to as as you know blah 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 on set you know yeah i love i love she, she does the, you know she's like uh you notice i said actor not actress because actress is a word that's <laughs> It's, I forget what she says, the exact line. She basically says it's, it's a, a... It's gender, you know, or whatever. A word that makes no sense or a ridiculous word or like the... She says something. I don't know. I, yeah. This is, again, like we're reviewing this after only watching it once and usually we like to watch things a couple times, right? I, this, I can't wait to watch this movie. This was such oh. like an instant rewatchable movie. I, I yeah. wanted to go back and see it like that day. Immediately, yeah. Uh, and it's weird because sometimes, you, you know, when you're in the middle of watching a scene that for the first time you're seeing it and you're like, Oh my, Holy shit, this is an iconic scene. And I'm in mm-hmm. the middle of it for the first time. Um, the, the scene where he, you know, after he's like totally breaking down and having a, uh, you know, beating up his trailer and then oh, promises to kill himself. And then he does this amazing <laughs> performance and the girls just like, Oh, I didn't mind that you threw me on the floor. I fucking do it all the time myself. Oh, I got padding that, and let's uh, talk about that whole segment, that whole sequence. Cause I, I, yeah. I love that. And I think that's really one of the hi- highlights of the movie. So we, we talked about the scene, uh, that precedes that scene where, where he's talking with the, with the young actress. And it seems like a pretty, you know, basic kind of comedy scene to start with. They, she's just being like really over the top, like, Oh, I'm an actor and I can only be, you know, but then, she they start talking about the book he's reading which is this old western about this guy this old bronco buster used to be able to bust any bronco and you know how how he's basically outlived his usefulness and and you realize slowly that he's telling the story of his career what were how he perceives his career to be well i mean that's pretty obvious on right off the bat but uh yeah but he like as soon as he summarizes you know she asked him to summarize what the book's about and then he kind of it dawns on him for the first time that oh shit this is my life (laughs) yeah and you know what's actually interesting about that too and i think it even more so is is we we think it's about him but by the end of the movie you kind of realize it's more about cliff because he gets stabbed and you know we'll we'll jumping ahead we'll get to that scene later but when he gets stabbed in the hip i He's like, oh, you know, I'll be all right. You know, maybe I'll just walk with a limp. But I was sitting there thinking, like, this dude's a fucking stunt performer. Like, this is going to really hamper his career. Like, it it really just gave me callbacks to the story that Leo tells about that book. And by the end of the movie, you know, Leo's career is kind of revitalized, it seems like. Or it might be, you know, it seems like he's actually kind of, you know, coming into this new Hollywood, uh, this new school of Hollywood, whereas Cliff seems to be the one who's assuming the role of the character from the book Leo was describing. It's kind well, of an interesting. And, and, and I mean, anyone listening to this is obviously 
seen yeah, don't the English film. If you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> uh, so we, we're going to kind of wait to talk about what the ending means. But, you know, if if we're led to believe the way the final shot ends, you know, we, that Rick Dalton is potentially going to be introduced to one of the leading directors of New Hollywood, that mm-hmm. he's suddenly got now possibly a, a, a real future. Right. Yeah. And if you think about the implications of like to play the country, at least. <laughs> right. Well, you think about the yeah. Well, I, let, let's let's presume that the, the, the new sort of reality created by this. Fantasy oh, well, you know, film, you're right. Sharon Tate will be alive. So that won't be an and, issue. And maybe. Hopefully Polanski never turns into, a, you know, a, a guy know. who's chasing after a 13 year old girl in Jack Nicholson's hot tub. So it's it's very much like like you know I, I feel like we're almost kind of have to talk about the end really but it's it feels like you know Tarantino was trying to kind of like right some of the most terrible wrongs in Hollywood you know yeah. be like hey what if what if, you know because with you did the same thing with the Glorious Bastards what if the war ended this way yeah. you know in this very cathartic uh, rage you know at at Nazis and Hitler and and with this it's almost kind of the opposite of that where. It's like, what if we prevent, you know, what if he had a time machine could go back and prevent Hitler from being bored? You know, what mm-hmm. if we prevent these very awful things from happening? Uh, so in that way, it's almost kind of like a very sweet way to end the film. I've never walked away from a, one of his movies like this and had such like a very kind of like satisfy like, oh, yeah, we did it. We fixed we fixed the terrible thing. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, right. We still got a huge um, bloodbath uh, at the end, but it wasn't the one. It was, a, it was a good blood. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was a, it, 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 the right people got bloodbathed in, at the end of this movie, at least. Well, yeah. it, and, you know, the, the, the bloodbath is so excessive. Yeah. In this well, film. Let, yeah. Well, I, let's 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 keep talking about the uh, the 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 scene with like the cat, the, the Western scene, because I, sure. I do want to talk extensively about the ending. We got gotcha. oh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say, but um, <laughs> but there's just movies just so good. It's so hard not to jump around the entire thing. But uh, so yeah, yeah, so that scene's really, you know, kind of emotional and sweet. And you realize, like, you know, the pathos of, of Leo's character, um, which really informs that, the, you know, the scene that follows or shortly follows uh, where they're on set. Uh, of Lancer, this this you know show he's he's guest starring on, um, and he he, the, he has this scene with Tim, Timothy Oliphant, who's like the lead you know actor I guess of uh, of the show, uh, and he and he keeps fucking it up. He keeps like flubbing his lines, and he's like you know, and we know he's not like an asshole who just lags off what he has to do. We hear him the night before practicing with his you know cassette tape he's just so in his own head about like all the shit that he's thinking about about being washed up that he keeps fucking it up yeah he's uh, got, per- got performance anxiety yeah uh, one of the real quick one of the things i love about that scene is it's it's shot you know you're watching the whole like basically edited scene right and you mm-hmm. never see where the camera is until he fucks like up that, his yeah. line and realize like oh we're looking through the camera yeah yeah and then, and then you the see show. a rack but you see it move back yeah yeah. Which is also hilarious because if you actually watch the show Lancer, it looks like shit. doesn't look anything like this amazing, beautiful right. life, you know? Like, <laughs> but the whole time you're thinking, like, but like, hey, you know, you know. yeah, you're thinking like this can't keep going on without a, a scene where the camera is, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I like that he did that just as like it can't it couldn't really be that way. But it's <laughs> it, it makes you it, it breaks that fourth wall in a way that, you know, it's just I don't know, it was interesting. 
Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, then we we get the scene shortly after that, which is, I think, like the funniest little snippet of the entire movie where Rick goes back to his trailer and just has an epic fucking meltdown where he's just like, you know, <laughs> they show a little bit of the trailer where he's just like cursing at himself and he's like you know he's like oh you yeah. can have four whiskey sours but you had eight whiskey sours why because you're a fucking alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> and all of that was uh leo's idea that wasn't in the script originally he improv like that whole thing apparently yeah right? and also flubbing the line and having to ask for the line was something he added in there too because he really? felt yeah yeah that was leo's idea to add that because he he, he read the script he was like i don't think people are going to pick up on the on you know his internal frustration mm. unless you show him fucking up right there's got to be like a like a nail on the you know very and it's not like people don't forget their lines uh it's just that he's so worried that this could be the end of his career for fucking up in front of everyone but this is the beauty of having leo in this movie is that nobody else on the fucking planet tells quentin tarantino hey you should add this to your movie but leo is such a big star that quentin's not going to be immediately like fuck you you know, like, and it really right. adds to the movie, I think. Well, that, that, it, that whole sequence. how many actors can make you care about a guy who's not that interesting and is in sort of a, a career tailspin, have a midlife life crisis? Like, yeah, that's that. It, this is like, I don't want to watch a white guy doing that. Right. So, like, you really need somebody who can uh do a performance that's funny and also you know and, and you're laughing at him his 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 eruption in his trailer until you're not laughing anymore and you're like oh yeah. fuck this is actually really fucking sad and it's just to, to be able to play both elements of that is, is um you know it's why he gets the gets the big bucks so i mean that, yeah that's, that's why he's one of the best actors in the fucking world but and that and then you get that scene afterwards where he's you know it, where he has the little girl uh as his as his like captive and he's negotiating with the guy and it's just this incredibly fucking acted scene like it, it it's really like he's really going for it it's really like there's shades of his his django performance but like not as you know racist obviously <laughs> um but uh but but like he's just really going for it and he, and he you know, throws her on the floor and all this shit. And like at the end, she comes over and says to him, you know, that was the best acting I've ever seen. And he fucking like tears up and it's just yeah. you could tell that's like all he fucking needs. Like he's such a fragile person because of his his insecurities about where his career is and what, you know, what he's doing with his career and if he's washed right. up. But Well, and it's it's not the best acting that we've ever seen, but it's the best because yeah, keep in mind you know it's it's Leo DiCaprio his playing the scene yes. as best as Rick Dalton can play it not as good as Leo DiCaprio could play it <laughs> right no yeah uh, but, it, but it's still but like it's a very well right. acted so, you know I mean sure it's, sure sure but it's it's not about how good it is to us it's about how good it is to him and that correct. little girl telling him the same thing the director too obviously but uh also kind of sad because that was Luke Perry's last scene before he died too yeah yeah that, but yeah uh, I, 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 yeah i didn't think about that but i guess that makes sense um but yeah it was it was strangely like you don't realize because you're not the the scene isn't about what they're talking about the scene is about us reacting to him actually yeah you know like uh, nailing it nailing it and you're like okay he doesn't have to kill himself now and he's almost relieved. <laughs> yeah it is exactly <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I don't have to fuck it. But, and it was great how, you know, when they, when they film that where he's yelling at himself in the mirror, like they're not even trying to pretend that he's looking directly at himself in the mirror. He's like way on an angle. So he's looking directly <laughs> into the camera. Right. It, like, like obviously not wouldn't be looking at himself, but um, yeah, just, just little things like that. I, I like that they did in this. 
But that's incredible that Leo managed. And, and yeah, and that's why I'm really glad. Like, Quentin, his entire career, uh, and we talked a lot about Quentin's career last, you know, at podcast. We don't have to go into his career a ton now. But, like, he, his entire career, he's really worked with, like, you know, character actors and kind of down and out actors who he's given a second life to, like Travolta and people like that. But now that he's such a prominent figure and now that he's such a sought after person to work with, he can work with the literal, like, you know, upper, upper, upper echelon of Hollywood in like Leo and Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. And you could see how amazing his movies are with, you know, fairly, not I don't want to say B-list talent, but like Michael Madsen's not you know knocking down doors like to do a million other movies like it's yeah. but but he's great in Tarantino movies and you see how a Tarantino script elevates a, a, a good actor and to see like so many great actors in this movie just really at the top of their fucking game it's like man this dude cannot fucking retire after one more movie like that this is this cannot like no and i don't think he will so yeah. we were we were talking before the show we watched a bunch of these press junket uh interviews where they have a, like a bunch of different media people all have their own little camera set up uh and you have like the the main actors do interviews with everybody all in one day right so they're all wearing the exact same clothes which you know gets kind of boring because like you get asked the same questions over and over and over mm-hmm. uh but i was i was amazed at how less douchey Quentin Tarantino was in some of these interviews because I've watched press junkets he's done where he says the most obnoxious yeah. shit uh, <laughs> or if anyone challenges him he fucking throws a fit um, somebody uh, he did that during the, this yeah <laughs> one of the early ones they they were like well you didn't you know Margot Robbie has hardly any lines in the movie and he's she defended him and said look like you that you don't need it like you know she's well, there she's not you know, a major said- character he Isn't said, it, like, I just I just reject your premise, like he said to the the woman that asked oh, him yeah, that question. Know, he, he was a total prick about it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, where is it where is it written that you have to, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's like the Spike Lee film, uh, Summer of Sam. You know, Sam Berkowitz is not really a character in the story. You see him a couple times yelling at the dog, right? But, you, you, you know, the movie is not really about that. Um, it's, that, it's the framing means, device for yeah, the, the time it's, period. And it's not yeah. exploitive because you see these the scenes that she's in and they're very sweet. They're very, you know, complimentary to who Sharon Tate was as a person. So, well, so that's the thing that's great about this movie. And that's why I think that that interviewer is, you know, I, I'm sure she maybe meant that question in, in good faith. But like, it's really a really if she saw the movie, which I assume she did. It's a really like bad reading of the movie because this movie is really kind of a love letter to Sharon Tate and a kind of like, Hey, all anyone knows Sharon Tate for is being the victim of this grisly, horrific murder. Why don't I show this awesome human side of her and posit like, Hey, look how amazing would it be if we, if this, this, you know, this beautiful, funny, quirky young actress's life wasn't cut short in this senseless tragedy. Uh, you know, while at the same time, really putting, arrests all like the myths the myths of like the scary manson family you know like you can't blame people for hearing oh quentin tarantino is going to do a movie about the sharon tate grizzly murder and not go oh my god that's going to be he's just going to show this horrible awful thing and make and and make it comical right Mm -hmm. so i get that but i having watched it and then seeing the sort of the turn 
at the end, um, you're like, wow, this was like <laughs> really you, like you hit it out of the park. Um, and it just makes you think all these different things like, you know, because, of course, you're, you're thinking, wait a minute, can he do this? Can, can you just rewrite history? <laughs> uh, you know, and I was like, oh, he did it before. That makes total I was like, sense. well, I mean, if we, if we were cool with him blowing Hitler's face off, I think we should. We, we, th- this is probably a, a smaller, like <laughs> historical scale, uh, you know, rewrite. So I was like, yeah, yeah. if, if we're going to go with that, we might well, as well go with this. You know, you, you, you know? If, you, if you're looking for someone that you just the, or want the audience to root for being viciously murdered by the protagonist and not judging the protagonist whatsoever. You got Hitler and then you got the Manson family. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, and, but, and by the way, so Sharon Tate's sister, uh, initially when she heard Tarantino was doing, this was really pissed off about it. And he met with her and I think showed her the script and told her like what he wanted to do with the film. And she gave it her blessing after he talked with her. So yeah. I think she, you know, people can ask questions like, oh, why weren't there more lines for, for Margot Robbie? It's like, it's not really the point of the movie. Charles Manson doesn't have, has two fucking lines in this movie. You're going to, you're not complaining about that. Like, it's not, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is like, hey, maybe Sharon Tate doesn't need to be remembered as just the the victim of the fucking Manson family murders. She can have this great career, you know, potential career in Hollywood. And I'm going to also tell this awesome, you know, kind of like buddy comedy story. Uh, that intersects sure. with that story. It's like, it's just not the story that he was telling. He wasn't making the Sharon Tate story, you know? Right, right. Well, so. you know, and, and Margot Robbie, she's fucking great, but, you know, we've already, we've seen her play, you know, Tanya Harding. No, she amazing, was fucking great in that you know? movie, So yeah. clearly, it's not like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, right? And yeah. there was people that were, who had their entire characters cut out of this film to cut it down from four and a half yeah, hours. Tim Roth, to, <laughs> Tim Roth was in this movie, but he wasn't in the yeah, final cut of this movie. Completely cut out. Well, you have to completely cut out a character and give him that phone call. That's got to be a, a, a bummer. You know, like, oh, all that work you did, no one will ever see the light of day. Did uh, you see uh, that article about how Tarantino's talking with Netflix about releasing a four hour cut of the movie when he oh, like, yeah. goes. He fucking better. I know. I, mean, I just. I, I, suppose I, it, You want to see more of this movie. You want, I know. You want to see the longer versions of these scenes. This movie was almost three hours and it fucking flew. And I kept looking at my watch being like, man, I really, that sucks that this movie's almost over because I don't want to like not be in this, you know, like not well, be in this world. It's and so when it fucking... gets to the end, you're still scared that like it, the, the bad thing's still going to happen somehow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you're like, there's probably like another hour of this movie left. And you know, I looked at my clock. I'm like, oh shit, it's over. We won. Very <laughs> <laughs> catastrophe. Um, apparently his cut and i didn't know this but and i gotta go watch it because i haven't watched it on netflix but the hateful eight that's on netflix is a is like a extended version it's almost like cut into like episodes like it's almost it's like a mini series i which i didn't realize so i guess he did that there's precedent for doing this which is great because i would love to see a longer oh yeah well i i still have a collection of dvds and i i have the uh i think it's four and a half hour long cut of dances with wolves um God. and there's not there's, there's not any actual extra scenes it's just longer cuts of the existing scenes and you get so so much more characterization of the entire tribe that kevin costner's with it's, it's almost no extra kevin costner and almost all extra scenes that he's not even in right which is it mm-hmm. just makes it that much more of a rich story that way yeah no for sure um so yeah, I, I really look forward to that. Um, you know, we haven't really talked much about Brad Pitt's character, and I really, really enjoyed his. Like, 
in the pantheon of Brad Pitt performances, obviously there's some there just, you know, untouchable like his performance in Fight Club. But I, I, I this is one of my favorite Brad Pitt performances. Like and that that's really like, uh, you know, you talked about that roundtable earlier. And I, I really feel like you got a good sense of all of those characters, like all of those actors, like who they're like their real personalities from that roundtable. Sure. And their characters are very similar to the real personalities. Like Leo's like very kind of like closed off and guarded. He's like, ha ha ha. Like, you know, kind of like, like sort of like reserved laughing, like doesn't really want to be there sort of thing during that round table. Like, although he opens up a little bit, but he's like closed off. Whereas Quentin's, you know, a fucking manic, you know, he's Quentin. He's the way he usually is. Although, as you said, a little less obnoxious, but Brad always is like super fucking jovial and like fun and like, you know, cracking. Like he always just seems like the most down to earth guy. And he's like the biggest fucking movie star in the world. It's such a weird dichotomy, you know? Well, this character too, it's like, he is the Marlboro man. Right. Yeah, like yeah. he's the guy who's on that that ad. Right. Like and he's actually the toughest badass who has, you know, he's a, a war hero, apparently uh, may have killed his bitch <laughs> ass wife. But don't, yeah, really don't know. think too much about that. Uh, that was such a that was such like a, a relic of like 60s movies. But that, that, that was kind of like almost. Well, and I love that, that they don't, like they don't tell you. They don't tell you. They show you he's at least got a reason to that she's a total fucking. <laughs> uh, and you see that he's sitting there with that that spear gun on his lap, just looking at her with no expression Although, at all. And you're, you're just kind of like, eh, he's at least thinking about it. <laughs> we have no yeah. idea. And that was also playing on like Robert Wagner's wife's death, where she kind of died died on a boat like in the under mysterious circumstances right um right. but but also like my, my friend pointed out we, we watched the movie he's like he didn't actually have a spear in that gun so i don't know how spear guns work if they have like a cork in them or something but it would actually be pretty hard for him to have killed her in that scene unless he like well he could load it and they just don't yeah i mean it, but, yeah but the, i mean that's the hilarious part is is you know he's having trouble getting work because of it and it, like it could very well just be a, a rumor somebody started yeah and it's floated around so much that now it's just like oh god this again which um, happens all the time in hollywood it's like oh you know like uh yeah, yeah. what's his face that's stuck R- richard gear you know stuck a gerbil up his ass right. or whatever like who knows right. if that's really true but um no it's everyone not, believes it's not it. true which is somebody started a fucking rumor uh so, but i love that you know kurt russell is the one who says that you know what well, he's like oh you don't believe that he's like yes i do and so does my <laughs> wife right and you realize that like he was sort of forced to believe it by his wife and then when you see who his wife is you're like okay she's definitely like she's probably the stronger person in that that relationship and uh, uh, i love the i love the fucking flashback with bruce lee where bruce lee's just kind of like being a dick on set and like trying to like show yeah. off to all like the the grips and shit and then, and then you know he uh, you see uh, cliff just kind of like chuckling about what a fuck clown he is uh so then bruce lee has to challenge him to a fight and Cliff oh, yeah. kind of kicks that, his that ass was, that, you know? was, that was apparently a very controversial scene for people because they're like oh it made bruce lee look like an asshole it's like well everyone can be an asshole in a moment maybe he was who knows very, yeah well it, it's it's still it's like it's just it's a fucking story guys like it's yeah. not real don't think yeah don't um, think too much about it but yeah i mean we see him pummel that hippie so you know he's he can at least beat up that guy, but it's like how how tough is he really, right? And we need to kind of establish Brad Pitt's character as being uh, at least on par with Bruce Lee as far as how fucking tough he is. Skilled, right? very skilled at hand to hand combat, which is obviously like you said a good setup for for the conclusion of the film. Yeah, 
Yeah, because you have to. You everything is building towards a conclusion in this film, and see, if you didn't have that, a lot of these scenes just would not have the, the the tension behind it. You know that that act of violence that we all know from history makes every possible interaction of violence in this movie seem more like there's a higher stakes to it because we know it's all leading to it right yeah. uh but yeah i mean you love when just bruce lee just fucking kicks him in the chest because you didn't <laughs> you didn't see that one coming and then he's like all right try it again and i love the 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 quick edit on it because you see him grab him and then it's like a couple frames were sliced out and you just see you know like smashing into the side of that fucking car and that huge dent you're like oh shit because <laughs> if it was all one continuous shot i mean it'd be really hard to, to to do without some cgi um but the fact that there's like a slight uh jump in time from when he grabs him to when he hits the car uh just makes it even more jarring yeah actually i'm curious how much stunt work brad pitt did for the movie or how much like quentin kind of like trained him to do certain things in the movie because there are a lot of shots that are very prominently featuring him in it so i I do think he learned to do a lot of the obviously the hand-to-hand stuff but i even wonder about some like the driving stunts and shit like that if he had him just learn to do that he had him doing all the all the driving i mean there's not most of the driving shots are just him and the scenery yeah, but he has that one shot where he whips down Cielo Drive and like really fucking fishtails, and you can see him in the uh, car. It's like, well, that I mean, those aren't necessarily really stunts. They've got uh, the street closed off. Any other car on that street is going to be a professional yeah. driver. Uh, I'd be scared and, to do that shit. I mean, that, he really almost loses control when he really when the first eh, time he does that. I'm sure that you know if, if Tom Cruise can ha- get a, a stunt pilot's license, I'm sure Brad Pitt sure, can, sure. can get a you know a license to do a couple stunt um, you know. Brad Pitt doesn't hate his life, though, like Tom Cruise. Brad Pitt doesn't want to kill himself, uh, allegedly. But, um, yeah. Well, you know, actors like to do their own driving in a scene that's about them. um, Yeah. It doesn't have any dialogue in it, I'm sure. So. But uh, but yeah, but so you mentioned like scenes that set up the ending. Obviously, there's a scene where Charles Manson goes to the house uh, and that's the only scene we actually see him in, which is an interesting element of this because you really don't see any of the the Charles Manson whipping up his followers. And I think that that's really to the point that I was trying to make about like how this movie really demystifies the whole myth of like this guru cult figure, Charles Manson, and this like this terrifying, like, you know, murderous Manson family. It really makes them out to be the fucking dumb, you know, followers that they were like these dumb. You know, yeah. They're like, just fucking idiot couch surfers, which, you know, there are, were so many of those back in the day. There's, they're still there now. Like the West Coast is still just festooned with people who don't want to work because, you know, work is kind of bullshit, Uh, but also just will do anything they can to rip people off rather than, you know, kind of put any. So like the scene where they're all just laying around, you're like, are they committing elder abuse? And just are they just, you know, mooching off this guy's property Uh, that that read very real to me, (laughs) having lived on the West Coast. Sure. Um, and just seeing how, you know, going to greater and greater lengths, like there was, there was that cult up in Oregon back in the eighties and they, they, they tried to build a city of like 50,000 people. And when the, uh, the county was going to try to vote on whether to get, allow them to keep building more land, they went and poisoned the fucking food at this restaurant so that hundreds of people got violently ill and couldn't vote in this election. Like, so there, there's definitely precedent for why people would be afraid of, of, cults basically moving into the neighborhood because you know shit like this has happened yeah um when you know the funny thing i i looked i 
did a lot of research on the Manson family. Like after I saw the movie, I, I knew a little bit before, but I, you know, I did a, I did a kind of deep dive afterwards. And a lot of the shit depicted in the movie really happened. Like that scene where Charles Manson showed up to uh, the Polanski residence really did happen. Cause he uh, knew the, the previous owner, Terry Melcher is this uh, music producer that he kind of was like trying to get, to, he basically was trying to get Terry Melcher to sign him to a record deal Right. Uh, the problem was that Charles Manson wasn't a very good musician. He only knew two chords. His songs kind of sucked, <laughs> and we're like, you know, yeah. he wasn't a good musician. But he thinks. But the the whole th- the whole reason that all these people fucking died is because Charles Manson couldn't get a record deal because he wasn't that fucking good at playing music. But he was also a crazy person who grew up in this insane, broken home, and you know, fucking, you know, he, he look, he certainly is a product of the system, but he's also an asshole and like a, a megalomaniac who convinced a bunch of people that he was a Messiah when really he was just using them to maintain right. his prominence until he could get a record well, deal. That it, was it also the entire, yeah. sort of indicative of, of just how many people move to Hollywood in the hopes of becoming the next Brad Pitt. And, and you know how many people do every year out of, you know, say half a million people that moved to LA about 12 actually yeah. make it right yeah. so so yeah. just this idea that, like there's all these people living in la that just despise everyone that actually was successful because they couldn't be right and, and how that plays into just like their bitterness and anger at at people who are celebrities for, for usually you know if you are a celebrity in hollywood you worked your ass off and you had some kind of something about you was special right yeah. and, and not everyone is special it's just once you realize you're not special and you live in a town that's completely dedicated to putting those these people's, people's faces on billboards you have to look at every fucking day you know like you, you can you can understand how that would drive some people crazy yeah there's a lot of a lot of bitter people in hollywood for that reason but he um but and he's the ultimate bitter you know at, at the, you know hollywood fame seeker and he use he he wove that into his mythology like re, when when you really start digging into the manson stuff it's super clear that he didn't believe any of the shit he said he didn't believe in helter skelter he didn't believe that the fucking white album was giving him clues about the oncoming you know end of the world and race war like he didn't believe any of that shit he just found a way to to direct his anger at the music industry and at the phony entertainment industry that rejected him and he found his way to direct that um, he, he found his way to direct his anger towards them and also boost his prominence to the point where people looked at him like a star and looked at him like a, like a Messiah because that's all he really fucking wanted was to be accepted and to be, you know, wasn't David Koresh a failed musician too? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly. <laughs> he's actually, he's a better musician uh, than Charles Manson. Like you hear uh, one of David Koresh's songs it's like, Oh, it's actually not a bad song. I mean, yeah. he's a fucking lunatic, but right. And also, I mean, that was a, you know, the, the, both sides fucked that one up royally in Waco. Uh, he was no, you know, angel, but he also, like, they didn't need to, you know, murder a bunch of fucking children with we're the way. We're still reviewing it, a movie, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It, so, I forgot where we're at now. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. We were discussing I mean, Brad Pitt's character uh, and... But he's the ultimate fucking like uh, he's the ultimate man in this movie. Like he's just the ultimate fucking like he's the Marlboro man. Like he's like, but he but his character is also funny and like awesome. He's like just a really cool dude. Like he's just an 
ultimate it's like the ultimate brad pitt role you know i don't know anyone else who could make a a, a five minute long seat about feeding a dog interesting oh my god yeah <laughs> we gotta mention oh, that we dog gotta mention too. brandy brandy brandy's brandy the, the best fucking uh yeah <laughs> movie I mean, dog I, of the year for i hate sure. that they used a uh uh you know, a red pit bull terrier with the clipped ears. I always hate seeing that when they clip the mutilate the ears like that, but you know, just it's very loyal, 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 super loyal breed. Um, and it's, it's rare that you, I didn't think that dog was going to be so much involved in the finale. And then of course it became very obvious where you're like, Oh, we know that like the, 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 that five minute scene of, you know, making, you know, drops in one can of the wolf teeth dog food and then another one, and then, the, you know, dog's whimpering and he's like, now what I tell you? And then he's like basically cooking all his food, too. So they're going to eat together. Him yeah. and the dog are going to eat his together. His nasty ass mac and box mac and cheese yeah. that he made with it, without yeah. even putting any butter or milk in. Just put the put, fucking powder put in. Their, you know, and then, you know, his signal to the dog that he can eat now is, you know, that little. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, that that is it's cute. The dog knows that that's when it's time to eat is when he yeah. makes that little incredibly well-trained dog but also yeah that's the, obviously the way that that plays it in the finale you're just like oh i fucking love it i love how they they built this to get us here to this moment and that's like quentin's the thing one of the things he's really learned in later in his career is like he's always been known for indulgent scenes but in his more recent films and we talked about this one in glorious bastards they really all have a point like you know the opening scene of inglorious bastards we talked about this amazing fucking 20 minute scene but it's just very um it it just really takes its time and it seems like there's a lot of bullshit going on and you're like what does this fucking mean and then you realize the entire time that he's talking in all these different languages because he knows that they're hiding under the floorboards etc etc but and the same with this scene it's like do we need to see him feeding his dog for five minutes well initially you think no but then you realize like oh shit he was setting up the ending of this movie. Same right. with the fucking this 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 acid cigarette that we think yeah. is like a nothing scene that they one talk about the, in five minutes. One of the things that his films always try to do is to try to uh, teach you to see different things that you didn't see before. And I think good cinema should always do that. More than yeah. entertain you, it should educate you, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of went into this movie thinking, okay, well, what is this movie actually about? What are the actual themes of the movie? What are the the deeper themes? And then what is each scene precisely trying to tell us? Right. Because a lot of the setup of this movie, you you seemingly don't really know, you know, where it's going for a while until the plot kind of kicks in. And then there's all these sort of Easter eggs in the first act that when they, you know, when it's revealed why it was there in the the finale are such a, you know, you feel so rewarded by that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. So why don't we just talk about the uh, the, the ending? Because that's I think that's kind of what the whole uh, movie le- is obviously leading to, but and you know subtly hinting at. But we get the ending scene where uh, you see the uh, well. So right before the ending scene, we we get the the, the really kind of sad scene that we you mentioned about uh rick taking cliff out to the bar and saying like look buddy you know i can't afford you anymore i got this new wife and she's you know she wants me to do all this stuff to the house and i I just can't you know i can't afford it you know i can't afford to keep keep you on as my assistant anymore and and and, you know as the audience you're like oh man like you know like you said like you guys could just fucking chill you don't need to be he doesn't need to be your your assistant he could you guys could just chill he could watch like tv and joke about it and shit but um so you you get that scene but then they kind of get fucked up and go back to 
uh, Rick's house, uh, and they're all just kind of hanging out there. Uh, and Leo, you see Leo make himself this this fucking frozen margarita or whatever, and just walk outside, you know, with the pitcher. Uh, when he hears this car approach and it's the Manson family and they're like beat up fucking, you know, muscle car or whatever it is. Shitmobile. Shitmobile. <laughs> He's fucking, you know, just out there in his robe, holding a pitcher of margaritas, screaming at them, drinking from the pitcher. It's fucking peak Leo. But um. oh, yeah, it was great. Well, and it's when they come back and they're wasted drunk, it's kind of like they forgot that they were breaking up the friendship, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's. And the, and they're also like the in the you know kind of leading up to that they're showing Sharon Tate going out to dinner with her friends, uh, and then uh, Rick and Cliff going out and they're like counting the time down. So it's very obvious it's leading up to this. And mm-hmm. you know right before the final scene, uh, you know one of the many times we get like a close up of a TV screen to see like a you know uh, a show or an ad or something that's kind of dating this this time period. Um, there's an announcer who is on the TV and actually says um uh where is it here oh and now what you've all been waiting for is the <laughs> line that's right on the tv so it's yep. like we, we we're finally here and it's so fucking tense uh so you know brad pitt goes to walk the dog um and that's right when they start rolling up and uh of well so they, he also smoked before he goes out to to uh walk the dog he he, he takes his acid cigarette they left there and right. he lights it and he goes, and away we go, like right before he walks out the door, which is also significant. Right. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, what we get from there is the scene uh, of the Manson family in the car and they're talking and it's clear they're a bunch of fucking, you know, uh, you know, half-assed intellectuals. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And they're like, man, you know, yeah, well, you know, we grew up watching violence on TV. So, like, what if we enact the violence because we watch the violence on TV and like, uh so and you know they, so then they decide to go kill Rick instead because they you know recognized him from yelling at them in in his robe you know they was like oh fuck that's Rick Dalton, um, which is also oh by the way there, there's a really funny line in there too uh, that uh, Sadie says to the one chick she's like you don't know Rick Dalton she's like I can't remember every fascist that's been on TV Sadie my God or whatever oh yeah no that was great that was <laughs> great. very, that very reminiscent of of a very kind of West Coast mentality of like. You know, uh, my my parents wanted me to get jobs, so they're fascists because, you know, it's just like, you know, <laughs> like that, like trying to pretend that your politics are shaped by, uh, you know, people expecting you to do reasonable things. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> uh, and, and that's why you've been <laughs> radicalized. Like, uh, you know, my, my mom made me clean my room. Fucking fascist. You know, just yeah. like shit like that. Fucking Eichmann. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's also, you know, like you. If, if you were in that situation, you would see him, you know, him as as the, the Hollywood douchebag because he kind of is. He kind of like is. You, you yeah. feel for him. But that's really, uh, you know, guy you know, living he, up in the Hollywood Hills, hills with a robe and a pitcher, drunk, yelling at kids. <laughs> is like is really who he is deep down inside. Yeah. But he also but there, you know, there are moments where they shows he does have a good heart and he's not the stereotypical like sure. Hollywood A-list sure. D-bag, like, you know, with his yeah. relationship. Well, with Cliff, but. but I just I love how he kind of goes into like conservative get off my lawn private property <laughs> mentality, too, because his car is sort of in, invading his, uh, you know, cul-de-sac life up here. And he's probably can't really afford his house anymore. So that's why he's like extra protective of, of anyone invading the neighborhood, too, because he's kind of just like, I pay all my taxes and this is what I, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very, very um, 
Yeah. So, but so then we get the scene uh, where, and and he also, it's funny, he does show like a general disdain for hippies throughout the throughout the thing. Oh, I know. Although That's, it's it, <laughs> what am I? It's thinking? vaguely apolitical, but like it's it's just funny. He's just constant. Like he doesn't clearly doesn't know much about politics or anything. He's just like ah oh, whatever. But like oh fucking hippies, man. Like you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that so then we get the scene where you know you see the 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 three Manson murderers walking up the up the road up cielo drive with their knives oh and yeah i was glad yeah, that sorry, uh robin from stranger things played by my oh, bailed on them yeah. yeah i was glad because like if she would have been one of the ones that went up there it totally would have ruined like my my image of her from stranger things oh i know uh, i was just like oh that's great that she's in this but oh shit she's one of them <laughs> like, <laughs> oh God she's damn gonna it. go either was, kill somebody or get killed right now <laughs> yeah i was fine with uh you know uh, what's her name lena dunham being one of these whack jobs but don't do this to robin yeah she's too, she's too pure she uh, is. Um, yeah. So, so you know, uh, Cliff, you know, is out is out walking Brandy. He smoked the acid cigarette, so he's fucking, you know, he's seeing trails and shit. Uh, and then yeah, well, he, he comes back to the house, and we get a little moment of him where he starts to start trying to get the dog food ready, and he he notices, <laughs> he, like you can you can tell he they don't show tracers, but you can tell that he's looking at his hand seeing tracers. You know, yeah, and, and he's like, look, Brandy, I'm doing the best I can. He's like trying to open the thing, and the dog's like, come on, man. Like, right, right. Um, so, yeah, they then pretty much jump, goes right into them breaking down the door. Well, well. so he first puts on uh, the stereo. He turns oh. it up super loud, even though Leo's wife's sleeping, which I, I laughed at. It was He put puts on uh, Vanilla Fudge's cover of uh, Keep Me Hanging On, which I've never even heard before. It, like that's actually real. Just quick sidebar. Huh. That's a great another great thing about this movie is like, there. This movie is filled with like awesome sixty songs that probably were hits at the time, but like almost never get played now. Like all these Paul Revere and the Raiders songs. Oh yeah, that Neil Diamond like you know Brother Loves Traveling Circuit. Like well, all these and, songs and, are and that's partially because corporate media took over classic rock stations and you hear the same three Led Zeppelin yeah, songs, you hear Stone songs every two hours. Yeah, yeah it's but, like, the, but it's like you only get to hear a couple of them. You never get to hear the deep cuts from all these bands that had catalogs of like 15 fucking albums. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Tarantino, like, just dug through his fucking record collection. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, I can put I can put that fucking Neil Diamond song that I love yeah. that nobody's ever heard on it. We, we but, got Brad Pitt driving for for two minutes. I can cram eight different songs into this into this <laughs> montage and I will. Yeah. Uh, but but their cover of, of keep uh, you know, keep me hanging on is fucking it, it just it, it fucking slaps. It's really good. It's like it, it almost sounds like uh, like a, like a rush, like a rush cover of that song. You know, like it's a yeah. it's a typically kind of soulful song, but they really turn into this like proggy, like jammy, really kind of tripped out version. And that's th- that's what leads into, you know, the Mansons kind of just showing up and opening the unlocked door because, you know, that was another thing. Like nobody locked their fucking doors. Right. In these multi-million dollar mansions because it was the 60s. Like nobody needed to, I guess. Yeah, those people hitchhiking um, all over. It's like people were understandably a lot more trusting. Uh, and, and that's I think that's kind of part of like what what made this so. Uh, the, the the Sharon Tate murder is so galvanizing was people were like, uh, what the fuck just happened? You know, yeah. like you, you, the, the commoners are coming for the, the rich people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, even even behind a you know gated community, uh, you figure you were safe. But yeah. Uh, and so, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, the comedy 
from Brad Pitt's character from Cliff Trippin' Balls uh, <laughs> is really great at first too because like the 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 scene is just like we're really fucking scared for him because we're like uh oh our our, yeah. our hero is extremely inebriated and doesn't even know if they're real right it can't and can barely fit like his motor functions are barely functioning and it's like oh my god he's gonna get fucking killed like but so the the great thing about that's that opening part of that scene is that like uh rex or uh tex walks in the room and, he, and he's like oh man i know you guys from spawn ranch what's your name uh rex no no no, something stupider than that text text that's where, <laughs> yeah. like he, his fucking one-liners in that scene are just so fucking brad pitt so good but well, and you wonder how if he realizes the danger of the situation at first you're like yeah. oh doesn't he remember that the last time you interacted with them they wanted to kill him but you you <laughs> could tell he does like he start he, you could tell slowly that he does and then he's like still playing it cool because that's just how he rolls but um but like what uh uh text Set, who uh, by the way all the all the manson people depicted in this are, are based on the actual man like right. real same names and everything well even and that line was one that of the, he says uh you know i'm the, I'm, I'm the here to I'm do the, the devil's work or whatever well, I, I have here so he's and this was like the the line that people used to use to scare like midwestern mothers in the fucking 70s is like he walked in and he was and apparently he he later said that he said to sharon tate like i'm the devil and i'm here to do the devil's business and he says it to Cliff, and Cliff just starts like laughing at him. He's like, what the fuck? like dude, come on. Um, yeah. Which is great because that's that's what I mean about like I really think Tarantino set out not only to like kind of say like, hey, look what Sharon Tate could have become, but also to demystify all the fucking, you know, a supernatural or occult bullshit surrounding the Manson family. It's just like, no, they're a bunch of fucking clowns. Like, you know, they're, yeah. they're, there's nothing remotely scary about them. They're well, just assholes who happen and, to be and it's also violent. Just, yeah, the, the, the idea that, you know, clearly these kids are, are fuck ups, right? But we know that in real life, what they actually did was brutal and horrifying, right? So, oh, so God, we, yeah. we have the, the, the real life fear of what these people did. And it's almost like, you know, the. I mean, not not to get super graphic and, you know, trigger warning for people that are really great, but they fucking like stabbed Sharon Tate in her, she was eight months pregnant and they like stabbed her repeatedly in the stomach before they killed her. Like it, yeah, fucking th- horrific. Was, it was like a hundred and sixty, yeah, 160 stab wounds amongst the five victims. Uh, and they were like tied up and they put nooses around their necks and were like hanging them from the ceiling. It was just, it was horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like, you know, with what actually happened, well, what actually happens, the fantasy version of what happens as the climax of this movie is, of course, that, uh, you know, when when it's clear that they are about to start hacking up uh, Rick's wife and, and Cliff, uh, you know, Cliff lets the dog know it's feeding time with the and Brandy <laughs> goes to fucking town and starts just brutally mauling Tex uh, and then as the others go to attack the dog, you know, he, he does it again and like points to the other person. The dog immediately goes and attacks the other, other girl starts eating her face off. Yeah. Uh, he throws the can of food and busts the girl's nose immediately. <laughs> and you know, and he's tripping balls too. And we're like, holy shit. He was, 
he's not phase one bit. This guy's a fucking superhuman. Maybe, maybe that's why he was so good at it is he was just so fucking laser focused on the moment because he was tripping so hard. He was just like he saw everything before he did it. He was like, I'm going right. to throw this here. And then yeah. like, and like, well, and it was because <laughs> like, you know, Brady hasn't had her supper, so she's extra ready to eat something. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and those dogs like they're super loyal and they can sense when shit is not right when there's date. So like that dog, if, if he didn't like hold that dog to protect him that dog would have attacked those people anyway so he knew well, and you can like, you can train any dog to attack with any noise or command or anything especially yeah. ones that are really fucking smart and ones that are super fucking loyal um but yeah it, just the fact just the, and the dog knew that it like it'd be hilarious if he did the you know the the, the sound and then the dog went to its bowl and started eating and it was like oh that didn't work <laughs> god damn it <laughs> but also you know just and then he starts smashing the girl's head over and over and oh, over god. and over and it's the, the thing is like if if we didn't know the history of what those people actually did those act, it, this felt like revenge for something that hasn't happened in this movie that mm-hmm. did happen in real life it's almost like hollywood's revenge on the manson family is, yeah. is to write this revisionist history thing where we are totally accepting of this brutality being done on these dumb idiot kids who hadn't actually done anything yet, right? Who were, were going to attempt to and probably fail regardless. Um, but we, we're allowing I do think just them to be just butchered, basically, because we know of what actually happened in, in the alternate reality, which is our reality. Yeah. I do think they were actually, prior to this, part of some like less like prominent murders that they later tied to them to the Manson family. But like, yeah, yeah, they, oh, yeah. they hadn't yeah, done. Yeah, the, yeah absolutely. There, there was definitely, there was murders that Manson had committed prior to this and after this, yes. um, this was yeah. not the last time that they so, murdered people either. Yeah. And so the interesting thing is that like really almost like the day after the Manson murders, they, they, I think they committed one more murder where that like Charlie, Charles Manson was just driving around for hours and he just picked a random house and ended up being like, some like like middle class family that he fucking like murdered for no like you know like not even not that it matters like you know he's a fucking asshole either way but it's even worse because he was trying to like you know find a house and he didn't realize he was in like a moderately priced neighborhood instead of like what he thought was an upscale neighborhood but so the interesting thing that about this movie is that you know they're kind of all fucked and and like either killed by the end or like caught and and you know the whole thing with the Manson murders is that very shortly after the the big Sharon Tate murders, they had to kind of flee to the desert, and they, you know, he, he and he was basically caught like not long after that. Like the the FBI kind of finally put all the pieces together from all the shit that's been happening, and they found them not long after that. So I think this movie, a lot of reviews I saw were like, oh well. You know, well, Charles Manson's still on the loose, like, or, you know, he's still got all of his family. But, like, I think that if this were the actual way that the events went down, that the aftermath would be even swifter because they would know who all these people were. And he'd be like, oh, hey, by the way, they're all camped out over at Spawn Ranch, where they would still presumably would have been. And the FBI would have just went there and fucking, you know, like, yeah, well, scoop them all up sure. and hide them to the other previous. But who murders. gives a shit, really? Because that's not the end of our story right i mean that's the end of some other story right yeah um but the the fact that you know cliff and and brandy uh the dog do all the heavy lifting as far as killing the manson family and then the actual you know the the star hero shot (laughs) gets gets to kind of just like 
clean up the end um, <laughs> with that fucking flamethrower that he had, which again, it's like, why do we need the, the, the flashback scene of him complaining about the heat of it? Cause he actually did practice with it. And it happened to be one of the things he took home from the set. Cause of course you fucking take it. Yeah. Like if you're a star, you're like, I'm taking that fucking flamethrower. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And then just totally torches her. Um, yeah, when the camera kind of came came over that burnt corpse laying in the pool, I was so expecting the eyes to open and it was like going to not be all all over yet. Yeah, right? yeah. And I was like, oh god, thank god they didn't go that route. But <laughs> uh, yeah, just totally over the top ending with that. Everything up to then was pretty much realistic, and then we bust out the flamethrower. I'm like, okay, this is totally gratuitous. This is Tarantino, but awesome. like, <laughs> Still. but that's Tarantino too. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, it's it's a it's a it's definitely a the movie holds up a mirror to our our kind of violent predilections and says like, hey, you guys just want to see the shit. But also, Tarantino, I think in 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 doing some of that over the top gratuitous, almost cartoonish violence is like, yeah, well, you know, this is kind of what I like to do too. This is what I built my career on. But that yeah. doesn't mean we can't use it as a force for good. It doesn't have to be you know and, exploitative and, really, and gratuitous. Where could you point a flamethrower? You know, in your your residence that would be pretty much totally safe <laughs> other than a pool yeah you know? and he's, he's out to, he pulled it out of like a shed didn't he you know he pulled it out of that shed i think yeah. you actually can see it when uh cliff goes into that shed for his tools i think that was kind of like a another little kind of hint like hey by oh, the way here's that flamethrower that shot yeah that yeah. that's good um that it wasn't just out of nowhere like that but yeah it was in his in his outdoor shed which and and the second he started walking away i was like where's he oh and i, I kind of put it together and now you see him walking back with the backpack and i'm like oh this is fucking awesome. Like he's just gonna fucking, you know, <laughs> gonna filet mignon. This fucking dumbass hipster. Hippie. Um, yeah, and it's the it's, that's that's sort of the the penultimate scene. Of course, we get the uh, scene right after that where Cliff's being hauled off to uh, the hospital. And he wants, he's like, I don't even give a shit about my wife. I want to come to the hospital with you. And you realize mm-hmm. like their, their, their bromance is definitely not over, you know, which is kind of like the, yeah. the makes us feel good that they're, they're still going to have adventures, you know, in the future somewhere. Yeah. And um, the dog's staying with him for now. So, you know, they're going to like hang out and he's got to go pick the dog up and they'll probably hang out. Like, you, you know, their, 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 their friendship isn't over. And this is, if, yeah. if nothing else has brought them, you know, closer together in that, in that sense. And, and yeah, and then he meets the neighbors, you know, and he talks to Sharon Tate through the intercom. And I love one of the funniest lines at the end. She's like, is everyone OK? And he goes, those fucking hippies ain't OK. <laughs> <laughs> I torched him. Um, but, but I love the, that. The, 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 yeah, that, that, that last shot where the camera pans up and you get that overhead shot of everyone meeting in the driveway um, of the Polanski residence. And you're kind of like, oh, this is like a whole new you know, opening of his career potentially to meet who was, you know, at the time was the most prominent director in Hollywood or to, to, you know, uh, to probably meet him sometime after the, that, that took place. And then of course, like, you know, what if Polanski doesn't end up being a fucking child fucker, you know, (laughs) and, and and we would presume if he, you know, Sharon Tate was never murdered that he wouldn't have. Yeah. Although Um, he did. I, 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 there's another thing I came across in my research for this is that he was a real motherfucker, even while she was alive, like he would cheat on her all the time. He would just constantly like, he was like the, the originator of like negging, you know, like, the, like just like constantly be like, Oh, why don't you, you know, that, that really doesn't look good. Like he was just such a dick to her. Uh, and it's really a shame cause he's, you know, he is an amazing filmmaker, but he's just a real shitty fucking person. Oh, yeah. I watched some footage of him, um, talking about really arrogant, what he, what he did back at the time. And he was, he was shooting photos of, 
you know, uh, basically preteens nude at the time. And yeah. he just openly talked about how he liked to do that. And this person interviewed him and says, well, don't you think that something like this was bound to happen eventually if you kept doing that? And he's like, yeah, I guess so. Like, <laughs> like he has no fucking saying. And he's just like, oh, I just I'm attracted to, you know, like th- that's <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it seems almost unpredatory in how cavalier he was about it. You know, it, yeah. like he just didn't see anything wrong with it, you know, and, and people even at the time were like. You know, you, even Quentin Tarantino back in 2003 said that what, you know, this, this, you know, uh, what's her, her name was, um, forgive me, uh, Samantha Geimer, I believe it's her name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they were saying, well, right. Quentin Tarantino said, well, she knew what she was doing. She liked to party. And she was like 14. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 She's 14. And, and, uh, and he lured her in. But and that was another thing that on, on this kind of history podcast I was listening to, they really detailed that whole incident where he basically was like you know like he would go around and it kind of was almost like he was grooming these kids he was like go around and be like oh well, look look i'll take photos of your of your daughter she wants to get into modeling i, I have connections and he would just take them to like he, these houses and he would just slowly be like all right well why don't we try one with your top off and why don't we try and he would like yeah take like naked pictures of like fucking like preteen or and teen teen like you know like 13 14 year old girls like right. he's a fucking yeah Piece of shit. he's a pedophile like he should so totally I, I watched agree. a couple of, I watched the interview with uh, Samantha Geimer, who was very much just like, you know, yeah, what he did was terrible. What he did to me was terrible. Um, but I've forgiven him and he should still be able to have a career. You know, like we, we've we've corresponded since then and we've moved past it. He's issued an apology to me. I've accepted his apology. You know, we we've moved on with our lives and other people should, too. And I agree. It's not a, it's not we should never talk about these things, but to, you know, uh, condemn someone for life for something they did that clearly was a mistake that they've acknowledged was a mistake and their victim has forgiven them. You know, that's I think that's the best you can do, really. Sure. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't look good on his part that he fl- he fled the country to avoid, you know, facing facing the charges that he should have faced for that incident. So it's like. He, yeah. and, you know, you can never come back to the U.S. So it's it's a little it's tra- it's There's like a documentary film about his his trial and how he he was pleading guilty and then at the last second they like changed the terms of his his fucking plea deal and they were gonna try to make an example out of him the way they made an example out of the Manson family and it was just like you know it was it wasn't good on it wasn't good justice right. And it was also not good of him to flee. And it was also not good of, you know, what he did in the first place. <laughs> There's not, not, no good, not a good person right. to be found so in this I, whole story. I, I feel like that's, you know, Quentin said those awful things about the victim that he then apologized for and said, I was, I was just completely wrong to say those things. I was insensitive and everything. And I feel like, you know, in some way, this, his ending, his alternate ending to history uh, was very much a way to say kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could change these things? But we can't in real life, you know, the, the name once upon a time in Hollywood tells you this is fantasy, right? It's, it's based on some real events. And then it's like, Hey, uh, here's the, here's the revenge porn version of, of, (laughs) of Hollywood, uh, sort of retconning, uh, this revenge fantasy against the Manson family. Um, and, and, and look how you're rooting for this violence. Look how you're cheering, for these these teenage kids to be mauled by a fucking pit bull, <laughs> you know, like look how easy it is that I can get yeah. you to this point. And he's like, yeah, you're not supposed to feel good about it, you know. I mean, you're not supposed to feel good about rooting for these kids to get killed. But here's a situation in which you are, right? So, so yeah. what's that say about us? And what's that say about how Hollywood 
how the movies really can, you know, justify brutal, awful violence in a way that you agree with. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's 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 a commentary on the relationship between violence and the media in and of itself, and he's still entertaining you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I also wonder how much the ending was kind of a commentary on, like, you know, the whole, like, I'm going to retire after 10 films thing. Because, like, the whole movie is really all about how, like, uh, you know, uh, Rick just feels like he's washed up and like he's he's been left behind by this this new style of filmmaking. And it's just not he's like a, a relic of this old era. And like, you know, but by the end, he's like, well, you know, what? maybe maybe things will work out for me. Like, you know, he, he's getting in good with, you know, Polanski, just young director. And like, so you think it's I, reflexive on that level of, of Tarantino kind of he, he doesn't know how to answer might the question be conscious. Yeah. he's going to make. <laughs> so he yeah, tries I, to do that in the movie. Because I, well, I think a lot of the movie was about his 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 fears of getting old and becoming irrelevant or becoming like you know out of touch. Like I, I think there was a lot of that in a lot of the, the 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 like Western movie within a movie thing that you know seen from this from this film. So I don't know. I, I I think there's even if it wasn't on a conscious level, I think there was certainly some subconscious aspects of that for him. Sure, sure. You know, so that's well, they keep asking him that question: Is are you really going to only make one more movie? And he and he. You can tell he doesn't know how to answer that question because I think he wanted to, you know, 20 years ago thought, well, I'm going to make 10 perfect films that are, you know, big dick energy. And I don't want to make films that are circling the brain. But, you know, do you see that last film that Sidney Lumet made? Um, the boy, but what is it called? The um, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead with Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's an amazing no, fucking film. And Sidney Lumet made that when he was 83. You know, so it's like not a fucking like, Fury Road. George, George uh, Miller was fuck is like 80 something years old. Yeah. Made Mad Max Fury Road, one of the best fucking action movies of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, it, again, I, I think you're right um, that he's he's making a personal movie and a love letter to Hollywood to to also sort of like say to himself on some subconscious level that I, I don't need to stop doing this, that that there is a uh, a future after 60 for a filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, you're fucking white male in Hollywood with, with a, with a catalog of like, they're never going to let you, they're never going to stop you from making movies. dude. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's never going to happen. Quentin Tarantino is never going to call up a single film studio and be like, I have an idea. And they're going to be like, yeah, we're not interested. That's never going to fucking happen in a million. People will throw money at him before he even gives a pitch. Like that's, it's just not ever going to happen that he's not going to be able to get a movie made so and, like just imagine pitching this movie to to a, to a producer to executive if you weren't quentin tarantino like oh yeah, yeah i want to make a movie about the sharon oh, so. tate murders where the sharon tate murders don't happen <laughs> they'd be like what that you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> like a you shouldn't do it if you they did get murdered and b you definitely can't do it if they don't get murdered yeah so right. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> oh my god um yeah but, there, but there, you there know a, quentin's gonna yeah it, well, there there was a part of me that was kind of like, well, they're they're going to do like the, uh, you know, um, no country for old men ending where you don't see the murders and then you show up and like you see the aftermath and they just kind of like quietly reflect on it. Mm. And I was like, that's going to be also disappointing, but I just could not see them actually showing it. Right. I knew yeah. there had to be some alternate ending where these two guys somehow stop it from happening or are you know involved somehow but i'm like it can't be a mixed version it's got to be a total departure from what really happened right uh, at least at the last moment once they're inside uh rick's house and they're confronting cliff i'm like okay this is this is an alternate history this didn't happen 
right? And and he's gonna fuck them up. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then also, like you know, that in a Quentin Tarantino movie, like anything can happen at any moment. And you know, they could have just shot Brad Pitt in the chest, and then it was like, oh shit! Now Rick has to save the day, and it'd be really fucking sad that you know that, that now their friendship really is dead. Right. Yeah. So we, we got, I thought they like, killed him for a second too when he when he when he kind of collapses after, you know, bleeding. Oh, yeah, I mean they show with that knife went in just on his hip, right? There's not I guess you could hit on a vital but like in artery, real, but that's the thing is like in real life that could kill you, but like in a movie that's never going to kill you. But I but I when no. I saw that I was like, "Oh man, that'd be a real fucking bummer if they end up killing him because he bleeds out from a fucking hip stab, you know?" Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they just, they had to kind of like, you know, uh, hobble him long enough to let Rick Dalton, you know, get the, get the final money shot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but like that's, but that, I think that's a testament to how, how, how well, you know, fleshed out that character was is when that moment happened, like a couple of women in the theater audibly was like, Oh no. Like in gasp, like when he, when he collapsed, like in a die, I was like, Oh fuck. Like, He's too hot to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. like he's definitely like, you know, the character you love the most of, of this whole like Absolutely. group. Um, well, and it's hilarious because they have at the beginning of the Playboy Mansion, the guy who is playing Steve McQueen, who <laughs> Steve McQueen was a notorious womanizer, probably slept with more women than any of us will combined. Yeah. Uh, and, and even he's lamenting that he couldn't get Sharon Tate because he's not her type. Right. <laughs> he's, he's too good looking for you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's almost kind of like, like Brad Pitt is on a level above, uh, even Steve McQueen <laughs> and they, and you know, the scene where he's fixing the antenna on the roof, he takes his shirt off. I was reading tweets that people had where they were like, people were shouting in the theater. I'm 30 and I've never looked that good. And Brad Pitt's 55. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I, I had the same thought. I was like, this is just, yeah, I should just pack it in now. I'm never going to have that. that, that <laughs> yeah. No matter how much I could spend seven hours in a gym. I'm never going to have that like chiseled old Hollywood, like old, like tough guy, physique, you know, like it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, I, got, I'm as much as I ride a bike, I know I got better legs than Brad Pitt. But uh, from the waist up, he's torso. Got you know, nobody's got me. Got me a little bit beat. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, somebody had a, a comparison of Robert Redford from like 1975 with yeah. with blonde shirtless Brad Pitt from this movie, and they look like twins. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well. Uh, so I mean, I yeah, I think we we touched on all the stuff we wanted to touch on for the most part. Do you have anything else that you any other notes you made from the film? That uh, you wanted, well, you, wanted you know on? the the film is kind of you know there's little mm-hmm. tiny bits of media sprinkled all throughout the film that mm-hmm. um, are are I think tell the bigger story. There's the, when he picks up the the hitchhiker. Uh, she says that she doesn't like actors because they're phony. Uh, and only <laughs> pretend to die while real soldiers are getting killed every day. And you hear there's like body counts being read over the radio from from the war in Vietnam. But it's like yeah. it doesn't really affect these people because they're, they're in sort of their their Hollywood bubble, right? Yeah. Um, there was a couple other things. Um, oh, just uh, one of the things I learned about the Polanski initially believed that Bruce Lee was actually the murderer before he and he actually conducted his own investigation. Um, it was apparently he uh, there was a pair of glasses left at the scene of the crime. That yeah. were like identical to a pair that Bruce Lee had. So, 
the uh, glasses actually were just brought by the Manson family to like throw the cops. Like they just brought shit to oh, like really? <laughs> confuse the crime. To, yeah, they're such yeah. fucking assholes. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, the the um, one of the directors of the spaghetti westerns that um, Rick Dalton stars in was Antonio Margaretti, which was also I, I, the, I enjoyed that yeah. the, the fake name of Donnie Donowitz uh, his character yeah. in. in um, uh, in Glorious Bastards. Margarete. Yeah. Say it again. Say it again. Margarete. Yeah, that was great. Which is actually also a real, a real, all, all the names that they gave were real Italian directors and, or, or Italian film figures. But it's just funny that, like, that was so obviously like a callback to that fucking, you know, no, yeah, I think that it's, scene. It's just such a fun name to say. You know, it just flows. It is. Uh, and yeah, I think that pretty much was all I had in the notes I had here. There was a couple of good articles. Um, one from Slate, um, just explaining the ending that I read that was pretty good. So you might want to seek that out. Another one on um, Town and Country, mag.com. Yeah, I saw that one. Um, by uh, Chloe Fosanis. That was another good one. Yeah, I mean, this, this Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood, obviously. Oh, La La Land yeah. was just like Hollywood porn, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they love this shit. And, and by and large, if you don't live in Hollywood, it's kind of like it – if it's too much of that, it just becomes masturbatory. Uh, this was definitely not that. This was definitely a, a thoughtful commentary on violence in the media uh, from whence it cometh, but also just to, to painstakingly recreate Hollywood of 1969 with no visual effects, doing it all in camera with, you know, just look at some of the, like the, the, the props or just the, the art decoration in their homes, you know, from Brad Pitt's trailer to just, it, it's, it's so rich. There's so much to look at. I want to go back and just like frame by frame, stop mm. it and look at like this, the different ashtrays in different scenes. This is going to be an extremely rewatchable movie. Yeah. Like there's so many little things like that. There's that so you're much to really it. be yeah. able to enjoy on the second watch. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I fucking loved it. I, I loved it too. I, I would give it five out of five hammer and sickles. Yeah. Same five out of five. Uh, hammer and sickles uh i yeah in terms of the i i think inglorious bastards may be a better story but this is i think his better his maybe his best film like overall because i just think it's it's certainly his funniest script and and he and this is a guy known for writing really funny fucking dialogue and really punchy scripts like i think this is his funniest script uh i think it's his most fun movie to like to live in the universe of like his most fun characters to spend a movie yeah. with I, I i think i think it's going to be looked back fondly like you know like in the top echelon of his movies so uh, absolutely yeah I, this is the the his most mature film it's about the most amount of different things that all yeah. weave together so well thematically and just the, the pacing uh is is strange at times but it never is boring it never feels like it's dragging the, the scene where brad pitt's at that at that ranch it's like a one of the things is like a 20, 25 minute long scene and they never cut away oh, from wow. it. And you're just like, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Right. Cause it feels it's like, like a, it felt like a five minute scene too. Cause it's just so like, Oh, it's you so know. much longer than that. Yeah. It's so it's drawn crazy. out and you just, you feel so much menace, even though it's like mostly, you know, polite introductions and everything. You're just kind of like, well, why is he here? Cause he's, he has no interest in, you know, getting jail bait. Right. Like, he's yeah. already, well, what is his real reason for being there? And he realizes that his real reason is like, he knows something's wrong. He, right? he could just tell and, that they and, were like saying like, Hey, we're on spawn ranch. He's like, uh, that's George spawn lives on spawn. Or like, dude, you wouldn't just be fucking chill. Like he, he could sense immediately with, from that chick sure. that like some shit was off. Sure. And, and, and just, yeah, I mean, 
the way everything builds to what we finally get, uh, every minute of that film felt worth it. Uh, as long as it is what, almost three hours. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, like I said, I would watch, I would have watched another two hours of that movie. It did not at all. It <laughs> flew by, felt like a super, you know, short movie just cause it was so fun. Um, yeah. yeah, loved it. Yeah. So I think that pretty much wraps up our review. Uh, you know, you can go back, check out our other reviews. We just reviewed in glorious bastards a couple weeks ago. We reviewed, sorry to bother you couple great uh modern uh films uh we'll be doing a lot more coming up i'm sure we'll have a lot of movies leading up into the fall and into halloween season there's a lot of you know politically themed horror films and sci-fi movies we wanted to do that we didn't get around to so we'll probably get to a lot of that this year uh our main show of course uh where we talk about politics every week you can go check that out uh and you can find that at the same place you're listening to this uh move left idiots on apple podcasts uh soundcloud.com slash move left we are on uh facebook at facebook.com slash move left idiots we are on uh patreon if you want to support the show uh, patreon.com slash move left uh if you want a merch from the show you can go to tinyurl.com slash move left merch uh i am on twitter at move underscore left and oh, sorry, I got a, a text uh, regarding the drive-by shooting. Uh, as of right now, police are still across the uh, park there, still uh, investigating crime scene. Um, I am on Twitter at Smut Collector. Yeah, and we will see you next time.
can do.